Boots Riley is the legendary MC of The Coup and of Street Sweeper Social Club, but he's also the writer and director of the new movie Sorry to Bother You, which is a scathing critique on race relations, workers' rights, and capitalism in the United States that happens to also be high freaking hilarious. Boots Riley, welcome to Book Club. Check it out. Move. If you got the nerve, lash out for your just desserts. It's not just the words. Some of y'all heads up in the cloud. I'ma bring y'all back to earth. It's black back to burn. Boy, this shit y'all talking about. Out your mouth, I'm not concerned. Cause y'all got the nerve. It's y'all turned like Detroit Red. When his head had an ultra perk. If people were surprised to hear that you were directing a film, like, sorry to bother you, it's, it's probably just because they haven't been paying attention to your career. Tell me about how you came to want to mix this political activism that you've always had with this kind of art that you're making now? Yeah, for me, it's not thought out that consciously. Mm -hmm. I have ideas about the world, um, which is the same reason that I may have been involved in political campaigns in the past. And those same ideas about the world are what goes into my art. So for me, separately, just as an artist, what I've come to realize, kind of going through it backwards, is that if you really want to make great art, you have to be passionate about something other than art. You need something to, to guide your aesthetic. You need something that makes you invent things to accomplish a goal. And, uh, you know, that passion could be love, could be sex, it could be children, I don't know, whatever. But um, for me, I, it has to do with my analysis of the world. And in my head is just a big creative mishmash, you know. I, I wonder how you feel about, uh, you know, when, when I was young, you'd never hear anybody say things like uh, stick to music or stick to sports, keep politics out of it. And now that's like all anybody can say. Which is what, like, who are politicians? Yeah. Why don't someone say, you're a lawyer, stick to being a lawyer and don't be a politician. You're a business person, stick to being yeah. a business, stick to running a business. It's just a way when people don't have an argument against what you're saying, yeah. it's a way for them to supposedly shut you down, but yeah. they just shut themselves down. Well, especially when you're talking to, uh, you know, hip hop artists or punk rock artists or even like folk music artists, who the whole genre is based on, uh, you know, talking about the issues of the day of, of, mm -hmm. of protest, even yeah. to a point. And I mean, you know, even if it wasn't, the whole point is, is that Human beings have ideas about the world. Human beings have a stake in how other human beings are treated or treating them. Yeah. That's what it's all about. That's all we're talking about. I think that, that artists are people that often, hopefully, have made their life thinking about the world. I'm Jill Hopkins. You're listening to Vocalo. Joining me in the studio, director and writer of the new film, Sorry to Bother You, the one and only Boots Riley. Let's get into the movie. I saw it a couple weeks ago, and I tweeted after I got out of the theater that even though it was like 3 p.m. on a Wednesday, I needed to find the closest bar <laughs> and buy myself a very strong drink because I was I was legitimately shook. I mean, I, I knew what I was getting into but I didn't expect some of these darker twists and turns. But I have to say, I thought you struck a really good balance between this kind of um, absurdist, stylized art house film and like an urban comedy, but also with this on-point social commentary. How precarious was that 
tightrope walk as you're writing this film and as you're directing this film? I mean, it's the same kind of tightrope I often have to maneuver. But I think, yes, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm, we're doing music, often it's like I want to make a song that people want to dance to and play at a club, but I also want to uh, talk about these things. So so that, that sort of thing with uh, this film, the key to me doing whatever I wanted to do, whether it be funny, whether it be dark, whether it be fantastical or hyper-realistic, was the performances. Mm-hmm. Performances being real and being naturalistic is what makes it all possible. It's what strikes the balance yeah. because that's what, you know, you feel closer to the balance of the real world where all sorts of, you have all sorts of details that, you might not understand how they connect, and it doesn't matter. Like, the focus is the people. They become the rope. Yeah. And everything else centers around them. One of the the marks of a good uh, story, I think, and, and for, for films like this, is uh, ordinary people in extraordinary situations. And you've put these folks who live in, a, in Oakland, uh, you know, not Beverly Hills, just like a regular-ass town, who are, you know, having struggles like all of us do, but extraordinary things happen to them uh, because of them or uh, surrounding them that, that make this uh, a really interesting story to tell. Why um, why take a fantastical look at something that you could easily have just told as like a really dry drama? Workers' rights, sexism, yeah. racism. Could have, could have been a real been, dull movie. Yeah, it could have been boring. <laughs> Although I like making boring movies, I decided not to. <laughs> and uh, it's a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> no, the all the fantastical or absurdist things that happen in this movie. You know, I didn't know when I set out to make this movie that it, when I set out to write it, that that's what was going to happen. Yeah. All I knew is that there was it was going to take place in a telemarketing, on a telemarketing floor, and there was going to be a struggle. Mm-hmm. That he had to decide what side he was on. As I took this journey with Cassius and I wanted to bring in these ideas about the world, I realized I'm always engaged in a process of figuring out how to not lean toward cliche. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that urge comes to writers and creators because a lot of our idea about what the world is is really from other art. Mm -hmm. So like when somebody says, I'm going to write a scene where people break up. A lot of it will be from other art. It won't be from their real life. Yeah, yeah. Because it's hard to parse out what that is, which is why you have, like, so many, like, noontime cafe dates in movies, <laughs> and it, which really doesn't— People have jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and you sit and you try to figure out where somebody's going to meet, and you, you uh, gravitate towards that because you've seen it in other movies. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to parse out what— my experiences are from, you know, James Bond movies I've seen. And so in that, I have to think about what I really feel about a thing. And then that leads me to my bigger ideas about it. And and so for some writers, they'd be like, that's inconsequential to what's going on. But my whole thing is that it's connected. So my way of doing it is instead of having someone say what these big ideas are, it's I've been, you know, I found that bending the reality of that world makes parallels to our our real world. And and so 
that's when all the fantastical stuff started happening. It only happens in the movie when we need it for that character. Yeah. Listening to the Morning Amp on Vocalo. I'm Jill Hopkins. Joining me in the studio, MC from the Coup and filmmaker Boots Riley from the new film Sorry to Bother You. I really do like that it's a comedy, but also, you know, I'm watching a movie about workers' rights. I'm watching a movie about a, a labor union. Like Oakland was the perfect place for that mm-hmm. because of all you know these these tech companies. And Chicago's kind of you know, gunning for that number one spot with like, well, it's always here. been, I mean, this is like where the eight hour day got invented. Yeah. You know, we talk about that. We're watching a movie about workers' rights or this and that. We have all sorts of workplace dramas, workplace comedies mm-hmm. or some, and all sorts of movies for the last 30, I mean, whatever, since movies have been. And for the most part, any rebellion has been edited out, edited yeah. out of the story. And it's not, at all realistic to our real lives. Yeah. So someone along the way, either the writer that was doing like what I said, like the writers being like, okay, this is the world. These are the worlds that exist in movies already. I'm just going to do that. But Or they've been like, I'm not going to get it funded. Now, the the thing is, though, is that it's so unrealistic that nowhere in the background of anyone's life is there even rebellion going. Not their cousin, not any, yeah. you know. You see, watch Never Let Me Go, and it's they're they're worried about um, getting eaten, and you know maybe we can fall in love and not get eaten, <laughs> and then oh they're still gonna eat us no matter what. Okay, it's sad, <laughs> but nobody's fighting back. Yeah. Only time they have some semblance of rebellion is when they've created a world that's you know a thousand years in the future or out in space mm-hmm. or something like that. And that nobody can relate to. Like, yeah. you know, Star Trek is a socialist world, supposedly. Yeah. But who cares? You know, <laughs> like it doesn't really even pertain to our our real lives. Yeah. She just way too smart to question. The enemy, the brothers of a dark complexion. The governments of the world is shark infested. They have the own weaponry like shark and Heston, man. Look, it gets low, man. talk about uh, the white voice. I am a black woman who works for a public radio station. This is this is what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Cassius Green didn't know that he had, I guess it's a superpower for him yeah. in, in the movie. He didn't know he had that until Danny Glover, who's perfect, and that little I'm too old for this ish. I caught that. <laughs> I think I was the only one in, the, in my screening that caught it, but I loved it. Uh, the, the ability to switch between AAVE and this white voice is a skill um, but what is first kind of seen as an asset for him quickly gets out of hand. What does the ability to be flexible and adaptable, but uh, staying true to yourself, is that something that only marginalized people are expected to do? We're all performing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the thing that uh, Langston, Danny Glover's character, says in that. It's like, there really isn't a white voice. It's this idea that is being sold. State of mind. That, yeah, that, yeah that, that selling this idea of everything's taken care of, all the bills are paid, all that sort of stuff. And in reality, I mean, it doesn't talk about this in the movie, but as a specific juxtaposition against racist tropes of people of color, 
which are out there about how savage we are or how much our family is insufficient. Our family culture has caused all these things and, you know, all these myths about, you know, us being taught to make the wrong choices and, you know, where the, the ideas about where violence comes from having to do with the culture of, of people of color. And really what that's doing is that its purpose is to explain poverty as a system of bad choices by the impoverished. Mm -hmm. But in reality, we understand that capitalism is a pyramid scheme, meaning that most of the people are down at the bottom, that poverty is built into capitalism. It's not just a disturbing byproduct, but if you don't have unemployed people, then wages go up mm -hmm. and capitalism can't survive with uh, full employment because wages go up, stocks go down. Wall Street Journal complains about this all the time. Now, instead of saying, look, <laughs> poverty is just going to be there and it's just a matter of musical chairs of who's going to be there and so it's going to be people of color, the idea is to teach even the white working class that it's all about choices and so that some uh, white guy making $22,000 a year can think that he's middle class mm -hmm. uh, and, and feel that if he does feel impoverished, that it's a, because it's all about choice. This is Vocalo. I'm Jill Hopkins. Joining me in the studio, MC, writer, and director from the new movie, Sorry to Bother You, Boots Riley. I want to talk about the nods to uh, Michelle Gondry in this in this film, which I, I thought were, were quick and subtle. I was there for it. I was happy to see uh, that kind of, of film made by a black man. I was happy to see that kind of leading lady role be played by a black woman. I was happy to see an Asian sex symbol in this in this movie. It it feels like sometimes folks want to put black filmmakers and films in a in a box where you can make either like Twelve Years a Slave or Friday, but nothing in between. Mm -hmm. But here we are with, with this something that's that's in oh, between. So this is, that's the, that should have been my pitch. It's that should have been your pitch. Twelve Years a Slave meets Friday. Twelve Years a Smoky. <laughs> we uh, often get pigeonholed when it comes to the art that we are allowed to make. Tell me about uh, you know your experience pitching this film. Tell me about your experience promoting this film outside of that that pigeonhole. The first thing it's hard is that this movie is not like any other movie. It's yeah. not even like you could say, well, you're not used to people of color making a movie like this. It's true, but you're also not used to any movie being like this. That's true. You know, and and so whereas maybe somebody could be like, you know, this is uh, a horror movie with black people. Yeah. Somebody could be like, cha-ching, or whatever, right? But this was, people were like, what movie that has made money is this like? And that's what we're, yeah, has made money is always the, the <laughs> yeah. thing, right? And, and it, it, but the thing I could say is like, well, no one has ever made a movie like this. Yeah. So there was nobody else to fail with it mm. yet. And so that, that, that was the answer for that. Um, but yeah, you still didn't have something to tell investors like, this is just like this, you know? And the thing about this movie that, I think even more than all the fantastical stuff breaks it out of the mold of many movies about 
people of color, is that the main character is actually concerned about his existence. He starts off thinking about himself in the context of time and space, which is something we all do. Yeah. It's like very natural, but I have never seen a movie with uh, about a person of color who is thinking about anything other than trying to survive or uh, uh, against these particular odds or mm -hmm. whatever. But the thing that I think in many novels uh, you can get from something that makes someone human is they're thinking about their existence and who they are and mm -hmm. why they're here. I think that is really one of the biggest things that makes this movie different. I can't recommend enough uh, for people to go see this movie. Boots Riley, it's a it's been a singular pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for making time. Oh, thank and you. And welcome welcome back to Chicago. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, I was born here. They sent me back. They returned me. <laughs> <laughs> we got the kids here.